It's time for your weekly update on all things tax from Blick Rothenberg. The Tax Factor with Nimesh Shah and Matt Crawford. Welcome to The Tax Factor, our weekly podcast from Blick Rothenberg. Each week, our team of experts looks at the news and updates in the world of tax and provides analysis of what it might mean for you or your business. I'm Nimesh Shah, and joining me this week and making their Blick Rothenberg Tax Factor debut is Employment Taxes and Tax Investigation Specialist, Matt Crawford. Matt, welcome to The Tax Factor. No doubt you'll have some interesting tax cases to talk about on this week's episode. But first off, we should mark the one-year anniversary of Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's ill-fated mini-budget, which was the beginning of the end. Kwarteng's 38 days in office has the distinction of being the second shortest serving chancellor in British history, only surpassed by Ian McLeod, who lasted 30 days in 1970 before sadly dying from a heart attack. Whilst Truss would outlast Kwarteng by 11 days, she would take the unfortunate accolade of being the UK's shortest serving prime minister. So Matt, take us back to this time last year. What happened in that mini budget and what was your take on it at the time? It really was an unexpectedly brutal kind of slash and burn of many of Rishi Sunak's key policies from when he was Chancellor. There was the abolition of the health and social care levy, the abolition of the temporary national insurance increase that was put in to kind of backfill that health and social care levy before it could be implemented. There was a reduction in stamp duty, cancellation of the rise in corporation tax, the abolition of the additional rate band and the cancellation of the off-payroll working rules and a return to the kind of good old old-fashioned IR35. I remember at the time thinking the move to abolish the 45% rate without first kind of thinking about looking at the reduction of the entitlement to personal allowance for earners over £100,000 was a a really huge missed opportunity. I think that um, the notion we have an effective marginal rate at 60% that then drops down to what would have been 40% and then back up to 45 or staying at 40 is is an extraordinary bizarre tax policy with really distortive effects on people's income. And and that wasn't something that was going to be changed. From a personal perspective as an employment specialist, um, not sure I've ever been quite so busy regarding helping people out with things like bonus deferral rules to secure the NIC reduction. And the other crazy one was trying to work out if payroll software providers would actually be able to update their software in time to change the national insurance rates in the middle of the tax year, because of course, no one had ever done that before. Lots of cancellations, abolition of things uh, in that mini budget from this time last year. And there was a big reversal of that when Jeremy Hunt promptly came in following Kwarteng sacking and really uh, reversed loads and loads of those measures almost overnight. And actually what we ended up with was a higher tax burden, significantly higher tax burden than the one that Liz Truss and Kwarteng went in with. What I felt at the time, Matt, was that some of those policies were quite sensible. The the straw that broke the camel's back really was the abolition of the 45% rate. And had that not happened, I think we'd be in a different tax climate now altogether. And you never know, even Truss and Kwarteng might still be with us today as PM and Chancellor. But we didn't get that. And we are now one year on. But Liz Truss is still hanging around. And she stands by her suggestion that tax cuts are the way to go for the UK. So what she's been saying this week on what her views are on further tax cuts in the UK. So she's absolutely been maintaining her position that tax cuts are the way forward. And there was also a really interesting article I read this week that Jacob Rees-Mogg had actually submitted a memo to the Treasury about introducing flat taxes and perhaps a flat 20% tax was mooted at, at one point. Now, flat taxes or flatter taxes has been something that's, you know, an idea that's been around for a long time, got quite fashionable, I seem to remember in the kind of George Osborne chancellorship days was mooted 
contributed then to, but then disappeared. And they're really interesting. But what they tend to do is they tend to the people at the very, very top gain an awful lot. The people at the bottom, often because of the benefit system working in concert, gain a little. But the people who lose most tend to be relatively middle income individuals. And that's, to my mind, why it's always been something that's never been palatable for either the Conservative or, or the Labour Party to introduce. Interesting proposal. And they liken it to the Estonian tax system, where they have a flat system on income and capital gains and corporation taxes as well. It seemed like a very costly measure that Liz Truss had been trying this week, the tune of 40 billion. Uh, she said that it could have been paid for by abolishing higher rate relief on pension contributions. I don't think we're going to see that in the autumn statement from Jeremy Hunt. He has been labelled as a tax raising chancellor. But with inflation coming down this week, surprisingly coming down slightly this week, there might be some light at the end of the tunnel for the chancellor and the prime minister to possibly have some giveaways as we go into the next election, something that Heather and I talked about on a previous episode of The Tax Factor. Matt, whilst the headlines have been talking about the highest tax burden in 70 years. And I say, I don't think Jeremy Hunt is going to reverse that quickly in the uh, autumn statement. This week's OECD data suggests that the UK is somewhere in the middle as a percentage of the taxation of GDP. What have the OECD been saying about tax in the UK? So actually, the OECD have come out and said that we're pretty much in the middle in terms of a tax as a proportion of GDP and uh, not dissimilar to a, a number of other European countries. So perhaps some of the headlines that we see around us having the highest tax burden aren't actually quite accurate. Yeah, and arguably the UK is, say, somewhere in the middle, but maybe the, re- the levels of tax revenue that the country's raising, that could be spent in, in a slightly better way rather than increasing taxes, which is what a lot of the theme has been about over the last few years under this government. Let's change direction, Matt, uh, away from economics and policy. And whilst it's very interesting for us, let's think about your area of specialism and some of the tax cases that have caught your eye. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to. So the, the first one, it's a, a bit of a, uh, a tax factor favourite, and it's an interesting stamp duty land tax case. HMRC refused a claim for a refund on stamp duty land tax. And they did that on the basis that the property which was in need of renovation was suitable as a dwelling. And this is particularly interesting as the taxpayer bought the property, paid SDLT on the basis it was residential. The purchaser visited, realised that the ceiling had fallen down. And as a result of the leaking water pipe in the central water system, there was so much damage that he argued that he couldn't go back in. And the case was all around. HMRC opened an inquiry into the claim that he'd made for the refund. They rejected the refund. And the HMRC's position was that to render a building unsuitable for use as a dwelling, it must be derelict and require demolition, which wasn't the case here because it was only a ceiling that had fallen down. And the tribunal agreed. And the result was that the taxpayer lost a 12k stamp duty refund claim. And Staying on the theme of then questionable advice and tax cases, Matt, you come across plenty of tax tribunal cases in your line of work, which result in penalties and often emphasis is placed on the taxpayer taking advice and the quality of that advice as well. So what have you seen in that particular area? There's a couple of really interesting cases in this space, um, both coming out in the last couple of weeks, which concern contributions to employee benefit trusts. So the first of them is a company called Magic Carpets Commercial. And the taxpayer in that case had made contributions to an EBT on behalf of two of their directors. And the contributions were made before the introduction of the disguised REM rules, before cases like Glasgow Rangers. And the taxpayer accepted that 
that the contributions were taxable, but the case was about whether the extended time limits apply and penalties were due, both of which are determined by whether or not the taxpayer had taken reasonable care. And what this one hinged on is, was there a causal link between the fact that these taxpayers didn't actually seek a second opinion on the advice and the error in the return? And in this case, it was found there wasn't a causal link. And there wasn't a causal link because at the time, back before Rangers, back before Disguise Rem, actually, it could well have been that another advisor would have said, yeah, this scheme's controversial, but we think it probably still works. And therefore, there can't have been a causal link between not taking a second opinion and the P35, i.e. the tax return being wrong, and therefore the penalty fell away. And that's really interesting because that contrasts really nicely with another case called Delphi. And in that case, unlike in Magic Carpets, where the taxpayer was told that they actually had council opinion and that HMRC had approved something, um, so really kind of high quality advice from tax council. In this one, they simply ignored the accountant's advice to seek a professional opinion. They weren't given any representations that it was approved by council or HMRC. And so despite the fact that they didn't seek an alternative opinion, the the penalties stood. Now, I, I disagree with the tribunal in that one, actually. I think that's kind of counter to what they said in Magic Carpets, because still back in those days, there wasn't any guarantee that that second opinion would come to a different view. But it, it's a really interesting case to see how the tribunal will look at how seriously you took your obligation to take second, second opinions. It's interesting what you mentioned, Matt, about the tribunal placing emphasis on the type of advice, the quality of advice, how the taxpayer went about getting that advice as well. And this is an area within our profession, actually, that I know our regulating bodies, the Chartered Institute of Taxation, are looking at very closely around whether actually tax advice should be regulated in a more rigorous way, uh, similar to how financial advice, investment advice is given as well. So I think we should be watching this space very closely in our profession. Also, the taxpayers who are taking advice need to be thinking about who they're sourcing that advice from. I think this is something that's not going to go away for some time yet. And before we land on a, on a sensible resting place. As always on the tax factor, loads of things to talk about. And I know we're running short on time again. But and finally, there is another tax tribunal case that definitely caught my eye relating to penalties for one of my pet projects, the high income child benefit charge. Matt, what was your take on this particular case? I thought this was quite interesting, the way that the taxpayer took this angle. Yeah, it really was. It was a, a taxpayer called Simonite. And one of the really interesting arguments they made was that to impose a discovery assessment and a penalty in this case would be contrary to Article 7 of the European Convention of Human Rights, uh, which basically says that you can't be guilty of a criminal offence on a on an account of an act or omission, which wasn't a criminal offence when you conducted that that activity. Absolutely fascinating argument because, of course, back in 2022, rules were amended such that the, the revenue could make discovery assessments in this area. It failed as an argument. I've always failed in any of the European law arguments I've ever made on any of my cases as well, but an absolutely fascinating try. Great try by the taxpayer. It's pretty painful to be hit with a bill for all those years of child benefit. I don't think you can blame this individual for trying everything to challenge those penalties, which amounted to over £5,000. Matt, that's all we've got time for today. My thanks to you for joining me on this week's Tax Factor and sharing your take on your favourite tax cases. We've talked about SDLT, the quality of advice, and always a child benefit case thrown in there as well for fun. I know you've got many more cases to share, so I'm looking forward to you joining joining us again on the Tax Factor. Thank you. We also want to hear from you. If you visit the Tax Factor page on our website, you'll find a form to contact us. Let us know the stories and topics you'd like us to cover. We record the podcast on a Wednesday, so you can message us right 
right up to the time we record. We can't give any individual advice or specific responses to messages, but do let us know what is on your tax agenda. You can hear all previous episodes of The Tax Factor on the Blick Rothenberg website, and we release a new episode every Friday on all the popular podcast platforms. That's all for this week. I'm back next week with Tax Factor veteran Heather Self. I'm Namesh Shah, CEO at Blick Rothenberg. Goodbye and enjoy the weekend. That's all for this episode of The Tax Factor. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not try Brave Business, our podcast series for entrepreneurs. Find it wherever you get The Tax Factor or on the Blick Rothenberg website. The Tax Factor.